Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're looking at the 1977 Council Bluffs, Iowa UFO crash. That's correct. 1977 Council Bluffs, Iowa UFO crash. Now, way back in 1977, we had multiple reports of what people described as a red light or molten lava, molten metal falling from the sky and landing on a nearby uh, river levee there in Council Bluffs. Of course, Council Bluff is in south central Iowa at the very edge of the state located along the Missouri River. This is a strange case. Uh, you have multiple people witness this thing. They go to the site. There's were over a thousand pounds what was later described as slag recovered and how the stuff got there and how it could have ever fallen out of the sky still a mystery that remains today now uh, the first article that we're looking at here is from us 1049 quadcities.com this is a radio station uh, 104.9 and they begin by saying uh, this is one of the biggest alien sightings in iowa uh, writers jake published october 11th 2023 council bluffs top recreation destination is usually considered to be big creek lake but on december 17th 1977 this spot would be anything but relaxing. We'll go ahead with the article here. It says, a quick recap about the great city is as follows. Council Bluffs is a city in and the county seat of Pottawatomie County, Iowa, United States. It is the most populous city in southwest Iowa, as well as the third largest and a primary city of Omaha Council Bluffs metropolitan area. So yes, this is right across the river from, from Omaha. It is located on the east bank of the Missouri River, across from Omaha, Nebraska. It goes on and tells us, it says, according to sources like only in your state, this sighting is truly a strange and real one. Local resident Chris Moore visiting the park saw something very strange hovering in the air. While the story may be different depending on who you hear it from, almost everyone agrees that something crashed in the area. Now, no, no, no remnants of alien life were found, but the carbon steel remains of the mysterious craft didn't have an easy explanation. Well, they're calling it a craft here. We don't really know what happened. We know that they saw this stuff fall out of the sky and they know they found this giant, uh, large pile of slag. It ended up, It started out being molten and then it actually cooled down and the remains were left there. I just would love to get my hands on some of this metal material. It should be noted that no photos were ever captured. Samples of the metal were analyzed and determined to be a simple high carbon steel something we'd use for manufacturing. This again is strange, seeing as though many people reported this metal crashing into Earth. While it is a UFO, many are saying it wasn't an alien, but just something falling out of the sky. What do you think? Look, you have to ask yourself, it's 1977. How would you have gotten a thousand pounds of the slag up in the sky to begin with? Now I wanna go ahead and take a look at another article that gets a little bit deeper into this, but this just kind of gives us a broad overview of what happened there back on December 17th, 1977. Now this article comes to us from uh, the Historical and Preservation Society of Potawatomi County. The site is thehistoricalsociety.org. You can find this at the uh, Buy Me A Coffee website. As always, thank you to the folks that support the program over there and at Spotify. And hey, don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, follow button. It really helps the program. Now the title says, Close Encounter at Big Lake Park. On the evening of December 17, 1977, something spectacular happened at Council Bluffs. Over 40 years later, no one still is sure what it was. There's no question there was a fireball of molten metal in Big Lake Park. 
11 independent witnesses confirmed that, as well as the Council Bluffs Fire Department and Police Department. How it got there, or what it was, is the unsolved mystery. At 7.45 p.m. Saturday evening, three young people on their way to the Richmond Gordon store on North 16th Street noticed a reddish-brown object about 500 to 600 feet in the air falling straight down. It disappeared behind the trees of Big Lake Park, followed by a flash of bluish-white light and two arms of fire shooting over 10 feet in the air, suggesting an impact. The three drove to the park and got out to investigate, arriving to see a glowing orange blob with a bluish crystalline substance in its center on a dike about 16 feet from the road. One of them noted it looked like a great big sparkler. Lava-like material was running down the dike, appearing to slow as it cooled. It was too hot to touch and ignited a small grass fire. Now, you can just imagine these young people there at this park back in 1977. Of course, no cell phones, nothing like that, but they're watching this pile of molten uh, metal just kind of flow down the side of this, what they call a dike, what we call a levee. It's just, you know, it's just a long pile of dirt piled up next to the river to prevent flooding into an area where they don't want water at. So, it, you know, a man-made structure. So they've seen this thing come down out of the sky. They described it as this orange ball coming down. But you might have almost thought that was a meteorite. But if that was a meteorite, there would have been a sonic boom for sure. Somehow this stuff falls down to the ground, and when it lands, you're left with this big melting uh, pile of molten metal. Now, it says that this lava-like material was running down the dike, appearing to slow as it cooled. It was too hot to touch and ignited a small grass fire. Well, obviously too hot to touch. A couple in their early 20s saw a big round thing hovering in the sky below the treetops and also drove to the park. They summoned the fire department. When assistant, fire, when assistant Fire Chief Jack Moore arrived on the scene 15 minutes later, the object was still glowing, molten metal covering a 6 by 4 area and approximately 4 inches thick. Chief Moore requested a police cruiser. He described the material as some kind of metal, and you can't break it, and you can't bend it. Epley Air Force and Offa Air Force Base were contacted but knew nothing about it, denying that any aircraft crash had occurred. Offit officials didn't seem terribly interested. Well, notice this other witnesses, these other two witnesses, they saw this orange light hovering right at treetop level. So whatever this was, it didn't fall straight down. It hovered over the area for a little while, and then it came down. It says a third couple came forward reporting a bright red object rocketing to the ground at Big Lake. So we've got a couple different accounts of what happened. Some people say it hovered and then fell. Others just saw this thing rocket. So I wonder if it didn't come like out of the sky, stop, and then fall to the ground. Samples of the metal were analyzed and determined to be a simple high carbon steel of a type common in manufacturing. Now this is where the debunkers and the parallel narratives start right here because they say, well, this is something that we can make here on earth. Well, just because it's something similar to what we have doesn't mean that it is exactly what we have, that, that we are the source of it. Think about it. This stuff's out here on this dike. It came out of the sky. I mean, it's not like it was, you know, in a factory somewhere. I mean, it's here. It's out on this dike. It's, it's you know, hundreds of feet from the nearest uh, factory installation, anything like that. The article continues. So what was it that melted in Big Lake Park that night? Could it have been a meteor? No, the debris would have been rock, not metal, piece of an aircraft. It would not have fallen in a semi-molten state. 
satellite. Those are made with lightweight materials having high alloy content, not heavy manufacturing metal. Something falling all the way from outer space should have made a significant crater upon impact and wouldn't have been molten. Ruling out all aliens for the moment, that leaves one explanation. The whole thing was a hoax. Now see what the what the author did there. And, and we'll find out this author is a, is a doctor, PhD. I hope at least he's not a medical doctor. What they've done is they've set up a straw man argument, ruling out aliens for the moment. That, that's, that, that's something, that sentence doesn't have any place in any kind of a, a non-biased article. And you see this kind of thing happen a lot when these things are reported and the, the evidence is just overwhelming. The author can't deal with it. So instead of just leaving it there and saying, wow, this happened, they have to just pretend like it didn't happen. Ruling out aliens for the moment. Nice. The whole thing was a hoax. When the first witness arrived on the scene just minutes after the impact, a tiny, in a quote, tiny foreign car with four teenagers paused briefly and asked if they saw that thing fall out of the sky too. The car then drove on. I don't know what that has to do with anything and why it would matter that they were in a tiny foreign car. You kind of get the, it almost feels like the writer's trying to throw shade on the witnesses here. Glowing molten metal is hardly a common sight in the city's park system, yet the occupants of this car weren't curious enough to pause and take a look. Did they dump the molten metal and shoot off some sort of flare to create the illusion of something falling to earth? Maybe, but there are some lingering questions. Now that's, I'm sorry, and I don't want to be insulting here to this guy that wrote this, but that's about the most stupid thing I can imagine. How would they have shot off a flare? The flare would go up. People describe the light as coming down. Secondly, these are a bunch of teenagers in a tiny foreign car. They sound like kids. It's 1977, in the Midwest. You know, they could have been out drinking or something. Maybe they didn't want to stop because there were cops around investigating and they didn't want to get, you know, busted for uh, drinking and driving. Who knows? Probably just a bunch of goofball kids that were off doing their thing, doing what kids do. So just to throw this in here, this is a perfect example sometimes of how these people, he's very clumsily, in my opinion, trying to create a parallel narrative. And it's not working. So these kids in this tiny foreign car, they carted over a thousand pounds of molten metal, dumped it off on the river levee. How they got over there with the car, I have no idea because it doesn't sound like there's a road there. Now, they say two foundries existed in Council Bluffs at the time that could produce molten, molten metal of the type found, so it was available. But how would one transport a 2,500 degree substance, particularly in a tiny foreign car with four passengers? And there's the question of why go through such an expensive and logistically sophisticated plan for a hoax less than a dozen people saw. Well, I appreciate the fact that this uh, doctor, I guess it says Richard Warner, uh, brings this out. But I have to ask, why, why even bring up this crazy notion in the first place? I mean, this is such a silly idea that a carload of kids in a tiny foreign car could transport a thousand pounds of molten metal onto this onto this levee. It's just it's just crazy to me. Of course, there's one additional possibility. The reason the event defies earthly explanation may be that it isn't from Earth at all. Well, thank you. Though the thought of aliens blowing up their spaceship over Council Bluff seems a bit far-fetched, 
Dr. Jacques Vallée, a computer scientist who has compiled a database of thousands of sightings, say that there are at least nine other incidents that could be explained by an alien aerial object in distress ejecting molten metal. What was ejected could have been part of a liquid metal electrical system a flying objects power plant while this technology doesn't exist on earth at this time it is theoretically feasible and possibly something an advanced culture may employ well i appreciate that the writer has you know put forth a theory here uh, other than uh, the pranksters the merry pranksters dumping a thousand pounds of the slag off into the into this uh, levee area I think it's more complicated than a, simply a machine blowing up or melting down. The fact that that these uh, foundries exist there, and that this metal is is uh, similar, if not identical, to what they produce, kind of sends me a different direction. It's almost as if whatever this phenomena was that showed up there at Council Bluffs that night was camouflaging itself. We see this happen all the time with these things. They take shapes or colors or they hide or they do this or do they do that. It's almost like as if, as if it was coming into our dimension. Maybe it sensed this metal presence there because this, this large foundries or whatever they were. And somehow it was transmutating into the thing that it saw in and around its environment. This carbon steel, this molten lava that maybe is it's coming into... Uh, our environment the thing that it picks up on the most is the energy coming off these big you know uh, foundry ovens or these kilns where they melt this metal down if you've ever seen one they're really impressive maybe that's what was fed into this AI system on this UFO and as a result the energy that was generating as it came into our into our dimension was somehow was somehow just translated into this big chunk of metal slag melting there on the levee that night these things are so weird they're so far beyond us that i think we have to consider all the possibilities and that means possibilities beyond mechanical ships now i want to look at one more article here as we talk about this uh, december 1977 ufo crash as they call it that happened there at council bluffs iowa now this last article that i want to look at comes to us from savannahow.com that's savannahow.com it's written by Jason Offit it says Offit mass of molten metal leaves bystanders with questions this is published February 9th 2011 Big Lake Park in Council Bluffs Iowa is relatively quiet children run and play at the playground and honking geese occasionally drift across a rippling lake but the night of December 17th 1977 the park wasn't so peaceful Mike Moore, 58 of Council Bluffs, was 24 in 1977 when he and his now ex-wife drove through Big Lake Park at 7.45 p.m. and saw something in the sky, something that shouldn't have been there. Now remember, this is written 2011. He saw this big ball of red stuff in the sky, he said. Moore thought the light was probably an airplane from nearby Epley Field in Omaha, but it didn't act like an airplane. It hovered. Whatever the light in the sky was, it dropped something into the park, something on fire. So there we have it. They see this orange light hovering, and then it drops this molten metal onto the ground. So it didn't like come down from the sky like a meteorite or a satellite or anything like that. 
All I seen was this ball coming down, Moore said. It was pretty high in the sky when I seen it. I just seen a big ball of flame. Then the hovering object flew away. Moore and his wife weren't the only ones to see it. A group of teenagers cruising on North 16th Street noticed a reddish object about 500 to 600 feet in the air falling straight down, according to an article in the Historical Society at Pottawatomie County, December 2007 newsletter. So I'm assuming those are the kids in the little foreign tiny car. The teens pulled up into the park and stopped next to the car of Kenny and Carol Drake. The Drakes had seen the object as well. Mike Moore's father, Assistant Fire Chief Jack Moore, who responded to the scene 15 minutes after the incident, spoke with the Drakes who said they had seen something red in the sky, as reported in the December 18, 1977 issue of the Council Bluffs newspaper, the Daily Non-Pareil. An anonymous couple told computer programmer turned UFO investigator Dr. Jacques Vallée they had seen a bright red object rocket to the ground near Big Lake. The Drakes told Jack Moore they'd seen something red fall out of the sky to the southeast, hit the ground, and explode into flames. Now that's interesting. So you got one couple, they see this bright red object rocket to the ground, and these guys say, well, we saw it fall to the ground. A lot of times I think people see the same thing, but they see it differently. When Jack Moore arrived at the spot of the impact, he found a four by six foot mass of molten metal on a levee, according to the Daily non -Pareil. It was running, boiling down the edge of the levee, Jack Moore said. The center of it was way too hot to touch. So you can imagine, there's no way someone carried that there in a car, okay? That would just be silly. The center of the metal was so hot, it looked like blue flash bulbs, Mike Moore said. That's telling you, when it gets to that blue collar, it is really, really hot. After the local metal cooled, the fire department loaded most of it onto a truck and took it to the station. The article goes on and says, when they left, I kind of hung around and picked up a few pieces that were left, Mike Moore said. I still have boxes of it in my shed. I've got torches. All the torch did was heat it up. A grinder won't cut it. You can't even bend them. That doesn't sound like normal steel to me. I mean, I've been around a few metal shops and Seems like grinders sh should cut this stuff if it's just your basic high-carbon steel. I don't know. Mike Moore's words echoed those of his father from more than 30 years ago. I have pieces in my office, Jack Moore told the Daily non in 1977. You can't break it, and you can't bend it. I know it's metal, period. It's got me beat. Samples of the metal were taken to nearby Griffin Pipe Products Company and to the Ames Laboratory at Iowa State University. The metal turned out to be disappointingly ordinary. I'm not sure. Is it ordinary if you can't cut it and all it does, and all the torch does is heat it? I don't know. Maybe someone can leave a comment. I recall the examination. Francis Labs of the Ames Laboratory said, Labs did the initial testing and was, and was less than enthused by the results. We found the debris we received to examine to be consistent with smelter slag, very similar to that from a few operations in eastern Nebraska where they were using auto scrap to make manhole covers, etc. Here you go again, straw man argument. I don't care if there is a foundry 300 feet away. Nobody has explained to me how you moved a thousand pounds of molten metal from the foundry to the levee. Okay? Think about that. It's a pickup load of metal. Four foot by five foot, they said. Okay, or a car trunk full. How did you move this stuff? And what container did you use to move it in? This guy's supposed to be a scientist at a laboratory. Surely he knows 
how much effort it takes to melt this stuff. But a question remained. Although a railroad went alongside the park and two smelters operated in nearby Omaha, how could someone dump that much molten metal onto the levee half a football field away from the tracks? Oh, I don't know. I suppose they just loaded it up in their tiny foreign car and drove it over there and dumped it out. To take that much molten iron, you'd have to have it at 2,000 degrees, and it was a heavily traveled road, Moore said. There are about 1,000 pounds of molten iron laying on the ground, and that doesn't explain how four or five people saw it fall out of the sky. Well, first off, why would anybody want to haul over there? I mean, you know how hot this stuff is? It would be physically impossible for a normal person to move this stuff. You would have to have a big, some kind of a big uh, kiln or, you know, enormous container to haul this stuff in because it's going to melt through, uh, you know, just your average piece of metal. It's molten steel. How do you move that stuff uh, a couple hundred feet out, out of the foundry over to the levee, dump it off, okay, don't leave any tracks, just dump it off there, and then let it continue continue just uh, cooking away for a while till it cools off. Greg's Hoskins of Omaha is a longtime UFO enthusiast and visited the site shortly after, after the incident. He picked up small pieces of metal still on the ground and took them to a laboratory, but their findings were the same. The metal was slag. I don't even care that their findings were the same. But what's important is, is, is how did this stuff get there? That's important. They're completely, they completely seem to be off the topic here. We don't, we don't care if the, if the metal, uh, if metal like that occurred at a foundry nearby. That's not what it's important. What's important is how did a thousand pounds of molten metal get to that levee? There's, there's, there's no way. It's just, just like with the cattle mutilations. Okay, you've got a dead cat, a dead cow that's mutilated. Well, it must have been a predator. No, no, it's not. There's no blood on the ground. It's a completely different situation. I had physical material, but it's not worth anything, Hoskins said. It was just common. You can get slag from anywhere. Now, that's not correct. You can't get slag from anywhere. I can walk out in my driveway. No slag out there. Walk out in the front yard. No slag there. I can uh, go to my local city park. No slag there. Slag comes from a very specific place, like at a foundry where they're melting the stuff down at. Flag de slag doesn't just show up like dirt. So once again, you have somebody here who's trying to minimize the evidence. But not on that day, it says, according to Griffin Pipe Products and Valley's 1998 article, physical analysis in 10 cases of unexplained aerial objects with material samples from the Journal of Scientific Exploration, the metal would not only have to be kept at 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit to remain in the state as the fire department found it, but the foundry didn't pour on Saturday. So there you go. Pretty hard to sneak in in your tiny foreign car, fill up the trunk with slag, without melting your car, drive it over to the levee without leaving any tracks, dump it out of the trunk somehow, okay, then come back or shoot off a couple flares to simulate a meter, even though the flares would be going up instead of coming down, and then rush back over uh, to the edge of the road where you can watch as people pull over to view your hoax. How crazy is that? No, the foundry wasn't open on Saturday. The molten the molten uh, steel did not come from the foundry. Mike Moore doesn't care what scientists say the material is. He knows what he and others saw, and he's certain it's extraterrestrial. I think that there's stuff out there, he said. Yeah, no kidding.
No kidding. This just shows you, you can have a great case like this where you have multiple witnesses. They see this thing come down. It leaves physical evidence, but because the physical evidence is similar to the evidence that we find uh, in a local foundry somewhere, people just assume that it came from the foundry even though the foundry is a couple hundred feet away, even though it would have been impossible to move this molten, uh, molten steel from the foundry to the site, even though the foundry wasn't pouring that day. So they didn't have any molten uh, steel on site. People will just, they will just go through the most bizarre mental gymnastics to avoid looking at the truth. But I still love this case from 1977 over here at Council Bluffs, Iowa. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.